Thank God it's Free Range. You are listening to Free Range Radio Friday with your host, Michael Elves. Pour yourself a beverage and turn up the volume because here on 101.5 UMFM, the weekend starts now. UMFM, this is Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. I'm Michael Elson, kicking things off for us tonight. Winnipeg's own Amos the Kid with the title track from the forthcoming record, Enough As It Was. Uh, That is coming out in May. Uh, There is a show May 6th at the West End Cultural Center uh, featuring opener Tired Cossack. For more information, go to umfm.com. We've got a listing and a link to tickets for that one. Uh, Looking forward to hearing more from them. Busy show tonight. Uh, lots of stuff coming up in the next little while here in town, and uh, we got a couple people on the phone to talk about it. Uh, coming up after this next musical selection, uh, the band Bridal Party are playing on Monday night at the Goodwill, 
and uh, I talked to Suze, lead singer and songwriter from the band. Uh, we're going to get into that. And then uh, a little later, Clea Anaish, who is uh, opening for Ruben in the Dark on March 30th. Uh, we'll get into that in a little while. But before that, uh, a band that I saw at The Handsome Daughter. I think the last time I saw a Bridal Party was at The Handsome Daughter, too, uh, who just dropped a new single, uh, Montreal Act Fleece, just released It's the Life. Uh, they sent me a copy of the track, so uh, here it is. Enjoy. Party bringing their new album Cool Down to the Goodwill on Monday night. Suze Raudashel from the band joins me on the phone. How are you doing? I'm doing good. Glad Everything is coming together. Yeah, so you're playing a festival this weekend, and then essentially the Winnipeg date is the for- first of like the tour dates, like show, like gigs in, in bars and venues rather than a festival, right? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. So, so in the in the very nascent stages, and and the album just came out uh, this early on. What's what's the vibe? What's the feeling within the band about kind of the the record now finally being out? It feels really good. It's kind of you know when you release music, it's like blowing it a little kiss and letting it be on its own, which is always a relief and and really rewarding. 
um, yeah, we're really excited to play these songs for so many new faces across this vast piece of land. And yeah, no doubt, we're feeling good. good we're excited. Yeah, uh, you've released a couple singles, kind of in the in the in the lead up to the the full length being out. What goes into like choosing which songs are going to be like the the early representatives of the record? I think there's like some are are obvious, you know, you think of what has a good hook, but we also wanted to show the variety of the record, which I think we did a good job of. Um, Yeah. So Cool Down felt like the obvious quote hit, unquote. Um, And I, we were going to release a different song as a single, but then at the last minute we chose Baby Anymore because it, it was a, our low key favorite on the, on the record. Mm. And felt like it, I don't know, those two and including pool, it's it like stylistically shows the variety of, of songs on the album. You mentioned choosing things that have a good hook. I would argue that pretty much all the tracks have a good hook. So it's hard to like figure True. out like, which, <laughs> which one doesn't have a good hook. I think it's, it's a front to back great record. So I, Thank you so much. I think it's a, a hard hard press to like isolate one one track. So then you said, you know, uh, it was a particular favorite baby anymore. It, mm-hmm. Is there something about that like is it like the the remembering the recording process that made it a favorite or something about the lyrics or like what what are the kind of factors that make something a favorite within the band? Yeah, I think sometimes it can surprise you, you know, what what your favorite is. Um I think just how we play it now live makes it a favorite. Um, the the outro on that track is my own personal star on the on the record. Like it it just gives me it makes me feel things when it when it comes in. So yeah, I think and how, just how it comes together, the simplicity of how it feels to sing. There's a lot of different factors. Right. Um, yeah, the way we could experiment with different tones. Uh, speaking of how things come together, as I understand it, kind of you, Jordan, very often has like a melody or an idea for a song, and then you go off and write the lyrics and kind of come back to the band. Is that just a process that just works for you guys, or is it like you need some isolation to kind of figure out what a song is about, or what what precipitates that? Hmm. Yeah, every song we had a bit of a different process for on this record. So it was very like piece by piece. Some people, sometimes Jordan would bring a chord progression or a melody, and then I'd go add a, a second progression for the chorus or like build on it. Um, I do like writing, having like some isolation or some time to feel out the song to see what lyrics will be. Yeah. But this this record was really fun because it was so like each each song was different in terms of making it, mm. and everyone contributed in different ways. Sometimes like they'd have the full song, sometimes I would have a full song that I wrote on guitar, or Joe would have a full song. But other times it was very like collaborative, piecing things together on the go. Um, yeah, I read an interview you did with Range where you said that you know your lyricism veers towards melancholy because you spend time trying to soothe your anxiety and work through the dark places of your mind. Is it, is writing a like therapeutic exercise for you or like, like, are you 
sort of purging some of these feelings in the lyrics? Is that putting too it much? It definitely is. Yeah, that it's it feels very therapeutic to me to and helps me sort of make sense of my thoughts. And it's almost a way of like letting go of certain periods of time, you know? It's it's like I can bundle it up into this song and and just send it send it on its way. I am trying to write a bit more without like thinking of a product in the end, you know, because sometimes it's funny to always be trying to make something with your emotion. But so then yeah. writing more as an exercise just to kind of yeah, see exactly. what happens rather than make a song. Exactly. And and that and I, I think you can access like different parts of yourself that way. Yeah. So just a, an exercise, a grounding exercise, if you will. When it comes to writing some of the anxieties and, and feelings out, do you give some thought to the fact that like you'd have to then tap into those or explore those on stage in front of an audience eventually? Definitely. Um, there are moments sometimes where it strikes a bit of a nerve, but I think that's kind of special. And it's really cool to write a song at one point in your life and then even a year later you can relate to it almost completely differently. So things change. So, so you have it's a good to feel emotions. A yeah. distance from the initial feelings, and you can kind of air them out in a different way. I guess so. Yeah. Or sometimes it you wrote a song about a certain thing or like a perspective, and then everything shifts, and it almost means something completely different to you. Not like that it's less intense or um, significant, you know. Mm-hmm. But it, yeah. But I think that's the magic of songwriting, though, is that it can appeal to a universal emotion. Yeah, for sure. That like you, uh, you wrote it from a very specific place, but where the listener hears it is is maybe right where they are and are receiving exactly. it a different way. Yeah, yeah, totally. The band worked with Connor Head for this record as producer, and you didn't work with him on the last LP, but you did work with a negative space. What was the decision like to go back with him and how was that experience after having kind of a, a, another album under your belt without him? Yeah, um, Connor is so talented at producing and writing and arranging songs. Like He's so good at elevating certain areas of our music. Um, but there was not really any reason why we didn't work with him. I think it was Lee wanted to produce our record and we wanted to kind of do it ourselves, leave in the band um, for too much. And and then we were really eager to get a different set of ears and skill sets in on the, the last record, Cool Down. And Connor had just opened his studio, Catalog Studios in Victoria, B.C. Mm-hmm. And it felt like a, yeah, a great fit. He was keen. Yeah. And the process was sweet. Having that different set of ears, like, is he hearing things in the song that you guys aren't necessarily hearing and drawing it out of that? Or, like, what's what's kind of his role as producer? Because sometimes the producer can be more, like, engineer, just kind of like, you know, this needs to be a little higher, this needs to be a little lower, and sometimes there's, like, a little more authorship or editorship. Yeah, he definitely um, would hear things that we wouldn't have heard. He wrote the outro for Baby Anymore, and and put those different chord voicings under and sort of shifted the, mel- the vocal melody um, or like guided the mo- vocal melody. 
and he was a big part in writing Afterthought. He's got such a good ear for for chords, like he he will just make such beautiful progressions. And yeah, he definitely had some creative agency. He's a synth synth wizard. Got some. Good there there are definitely week. some synths on this record. Uh, the The vibe of this record, there's some like 80s, I mean, not just the synths, but I think some of the production. Was that like an intentional thing that you guys were looking for? Was there a particular record or artist that you were trying to evoke? Or what What kind of precipitated the uh, that sound? Yeah, I think a lot of it comes from the synths we use or like the tones we use. It wasn't necessarily our focus to like make an eighties record, but, um, and references span from like Steely Dan to Stereo Lab to Carly Rae Jepsen. So it really, I think it just came organically. It wasn't our goal to come up with that sound, but that's just, it's just what happened. There you go. Well, Suze, before yeah. I let you go, I want to get you to pick a track off cool down. We can play for listeners. And if you have a reason why you're picking that one or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Yeah. I will choose Close to You. That's my other uh, fan, I mean, not fan favorite, staff pick on the record. We It started out with Lee bringing like a full melodic bass line with co- bass chords to the band, and it, it went through a lot of um, variations before we came out with the final version. Um I wrote those lyrics about feeling feeling far away from someone you love, even though you want to become want to be closer to them, and like the nuances of intimacy in a relationship. And it's just got such a a bouncy beat. It's really fun to play live. Yeah. Well, we'll give that one a I listen, did. and folks can hear it live on Monday at the Goodwill. Uh, in the meantime, safe travels, Suze. Thank you so much. Yeah, we'll see you all soon.
Alex Southie from Toronto with the single Soften. Before that, a bonus track from the 25th anniversary edition of Apartment Life from Ivy, uh, featuring the late, great Adam Schlesinger. Uh, One of my all-time favorite records, and it's just kind of disturbing that it is now a quarter century old. Uh, We started that set off with Bridal Party and Close to You uh, from Cool Down. And don't forget, they are playing the Goodwill on Monday night. Before we get into my interview with Clea and I, I've got a new single from a group called Wayfinding. Uh, the track's called Bad Blood. It debuted this week. It's from the album uh, Wayfinding that'll be out on Victory Pool at the end of April. Um, this group features Kasia Hardy, uh, Merrick Tyler, Ryan Beatty, and Matthew Cardinal of Nehawak, uh fame. So new project, interesting stuff. Excited to hear more from them. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
while bringing the new album Circle Zero to town. Opening for Ruben in the Dark, March 30th here. Clea Anais joins me on Zoom. Welcome to the show. Hello. It's su- I'm super happy to be here. I'm happy to have you on. Now, this record is coming up on, on its one-year anniversary. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm very curious to talk to you about kind of like what your reflections are on the record, having had that length of time now with it to like, because there's obviously like all the time you spend with it before it's out in the world. But now that it's out in the world, you've played it out, you've, you know, played folk fests and things like that. What's your relationship with the record at this point? Oh, you know, it's interesting because um, this is my first solo kind of endeavor. Um, and it's been a crazy busy year. Like there hasn't been a moment to pause at all. And um, I have immense gratitude for that and all of the opportunities that have come up. Uh, but it doesn't really feel like there has been a second to like, to feel like, you know, um, far away from the process, because the process has been so busy. So um, honestly, I like the the songs still feel fresh they're fun to play every time we tour it's amazing um, i'm i have like yeah i i feel like it's been an amazing experience i think uh coming up on the anniversary of the record we're going to release a music video featuring a dancer and choreographer pam sang um and it's a version of the song stars still dying it's like the long longer version and kind of like a deep cut And um, that was a song that I wrote for my dad after he passed away. And that will kind of like bring the whole process full circle, you know, to have like started really release the record on that single and then to circle back and to kind of have a second interpretation of it will feel like closure for me, I think, in some ways. And your dad Um, was a dancer, right? Yeah, he was a ballroom dancer. He also, um, he was an immigrant to Canada. He grew up on the island of Mauritius near Madagascar. Um, And he worked at the University of Calgary in the library as well. Like he had another job, but dancing was his passion when he was young. Oh, I was just thinking because you've got a a dancer on the video. So just thinking it's kind of fitting that that's a video tribute is the dance. Yeah. So the the record itself, uh, one thing that I heard that is that you taught yourself the bass. Oh yeah. <laughs> because for the configuration of like playing this record out, it worked best for you to play bass rather than any other instrument. And like, did you have some thought in terms of like like was that before you started the record or was that only after you kind of put the record together and you're like, okay, I need to like figure out how to best best accurately like convey this record in a live setting well so i feel like the instrument i'm closest at home to is the cello um and i do session recording with that and that's kind of like probably where like the melodic voice emanates from first like i didn't train as a singer i didn't ever envision myself being you know like I was never like, I'm going to be the front person in a, in a band and I'm going to be the singer. So um, like writing bass lines is not a thing that I've struggled with. But generally speaking, I've like passed the idea over to a guitar player, or bass player who's more ver- well versed on that instrument. Mm-hmm. Um, but when I looked at touring with this project, something that was important for me was to have it be scalable. Um, so the smallest group we can do the 
the a show with is really two people, myself and one guitar player. And then sometimes we play with six people, two horns, guitars and keys and drums live. So um, as like a byproduct of having toured before, I knew that I wanted it to be easy and I wanted us to be able to take shows and I didn't want to be limited by needing other people. And that was kind of also a central theme to this project was to have a little bit more uh, creative direction and control. Um, I love collaborating and I love the people I work with and uh, I have so much gratitude for what they bring to the project. Um, but there was is, this particular project came from a place of wanting to um, preserve my own voice a little bit more in the process. Was that a conscious choice to like break away from you know something like Raleigh or doing you know session stuff for for other bands and be like I, I want my own stories, my own songs, or it, yeah. like was there like a conscious thing like at some point you're like I've done a lot of this for other people or with other people. I want to do this myself. Very much so. I mean, I the the rally project was something that was um, is very dear to my heart, but it was very much a co collaboration with uh, Brock Geiger, um, and this journey with this record was mostly just to know that I could do it alone. Um, and I was in a place in my life where I'd lost like a lot uh, in terms of important relationships, like with my dad, my partner, my long-term partner. Um, I was losing my kind of home at the time. Uh, I made the big move to go to school. Um, and it was really just like an exercise in knowing that I could still, you know, make a record from writing to completion all alone with my stand standalone, you know? Mm-hmm. And um, ultimately something I learned in that process was that my team comes back to me anyways, you know, like I'm inherently part of a community um, and it's a very good community. Uh, but I could have made that record and just only have ever played it for myself and not shared it with the world and I, and the intent of that project would have been fulfilled. Like it wasn't about a public declaration. It was very much just to know for myself that I could do it. So you you pull away, you start to kind of writing your own songs, you know, something like you said, like stars, stars still dying, or, you know, tribute to your father, other, other things that you're kind of addressing that you want to kind of like personally wrap your head around. At what point do you think, okay, now I want to like, bring some people in and make this an actual record and and not just be like an exercise for myself? Oh, um, well, I guess if, if I was lucky enough to get some funding to make the record and then you have a deadline. Mm. (laughs) So, so at that point you have the like joy of choosing, you know, like who do I want to work on this track with, which engineer suits, which song, you know? Um, so stars was recorded by an engineer named Graham Lassard, uh, he works at the National Music Center and previously at the BAM Center for Performing Arts. And, you know, marrying my, what my internal vision for a song is with um, somebody who I know I can do great work with in the studio is a gift. Um, and getting to kind of like 
see the places where the in like the musicians who I know will kind of weave uh the right narrative but then also a little bit of themselves like a little salty magic dust into what they're doing to you know layer color and layer character um that's that's the best part you mentioned thinking about scalability for for touring purposes when you wrote the songs like was that in the back of your mind in terms of like do these songs exist kind of as one person and and can I like kind of bring it back to that core or or did you just kind of treat the studio as like this is what I can do with this song and then I, I'll figure it out afterwards as to like how it translates to a stage? Yeah, definitely. So the, I didn't think at all about performance, which was a mistake. Because <laughs> <laughs> oh. I think if you hear some, some of the vocal stuff was ambitious. You know, I wrote the vocals as a cellist and then had to learn to perform vocals as a vocalist, which I'm not, you know, like I don't have training in that. So that was probably not the best idea. Amateur move. Thanks for calling me out. No, <laughs> but um, no, I like, it's really about the the concept of a song and um, the resonance of what it means. And then creating like this lush world around the feeling musically and then lyrically kind of delivering a picture, I think, and making that song the best we can or I can in studio. Um, I don't even think about the back end of it. Mm. Um, and I've been lucky that we are we are delivering pretty much something very similar to what's on the record. Um, it's evolved over time and become its own, own creature. Um, but I'm more focused on intent than back end. Right. You mentioned lushness. Was were there any like touchstone artists or records that you were trying to like pull from or draw inspiration from during the creation of the record? I don't think so specifically. Um, it's more just about creating an accurate feeling and picture, like emotional imprint of what the song means for me and however we get to that end point sonically i'm fine with um but i think uh, like we're all influenced by what we listen to and so and i love when people come tell me like this song reminds me you know like um revisions some people have like come to me and said oh this song reminds me of radiohead you know, but everybody has different visions of what songs remind them of. So I think we all like pull out what we know. Mm -hmm. You mentioned writing on the cello and then translating that for your voice. Uh, like that instrument, I mean, as I understand it, you were like classical cello player first. Yeah, I uh, grew up learning classical music and I played in like orchestra when I was a kid. Um, which I think uh, probably gives me like a grander idea, you know, like a, it it opens up a grand world in, in terms of composition. Um, I didn't train as an adult, so I don't have as much like theory and background knowledge as I would like to have. But I think that that process taught me kind of harmonically how to layer voices and yeah, informs 
Yeah, just because like, I'm thinking is it like very often like like in a string quartet or something, it's not necessarily the melodic line. It might get you know a few lines of melody, but you know usually it's violin, viola, get that, and then the the cello and bass like play support, right? True, uh, true. And and so learning to kind of and especially because you've played cello in as as like you know session for for other people's songs, right? To kind of like fill out a non classical song with with the the instrument sound. But it's it's not necessarily like a a voice that's always the voice in its like natural habitat, let's say. And mm-hmm. so I, I'm I'm curious about kind of like the the intellectual or, or like creative work that goes into like that being a your your voice or the the way that you write a, a melodic line through that that instrument. Hmm. Well, when I'm working on parts for other people as a session player, I'll do all the voicing. So um, you can play relative, like pretty high on a cello. It's the timbre is still going to be different than a violin or viola. Um, But I can get away, like when I do string parts for people, I'll do the full, you know, four to six like layers. And that will exist as an entire section or chunk. that they can use. Um, so I think I have the practice in doing this. Um, and I also have like a lot of band experience playing like live modern music with people. Right. Um, and I've learned from a lot of the front people I've worked with, you know, like the idea of hopefully like how to, like what makes a show good, good for an audience member I've learned through not schooling, but, um, you know, like almost like trade work, like being on tour with other musicians. Um, But then when I like write my own music, it's not necessarily always, I'm not like sitting down at the cello and writing. I'll have an idea in my head and I'll work from that idea. And I kind of like flesh it out or turn it into its own world. Sure. Before I let you go, Clea, I want to get you to pick a track off of the record that we can play for folks. And if you have a reason why you're picking it or an anecdote about it, I'd love to hear that. Ah, which track? Um, well, we have talked about stars still dying a lot. Um, and that's going to be the one that we have the video for. Um, so maybe that one is a good track. We'll do that one. Uh, so March 30th with Ruben in the Dark, Clea Nice. Uh, thanks very much for taking some time and uh, safe travels in the interim. Thank you. It was so nice to talk with you, Michael. Our first breath is arresting. We don't all come full circle at the turn of
Back here on Thank God It's Free Range, the Friday edition of Free Range Radio. Right before the break, Thierry LaRose with Comme dans mes souvenirs from Sprint, new album from the Quebecois singer. Before that, Clea and Ice with Stars Still Dying from her album Circle Zero. Just a reminder, she'll be opening for Ruben in the Dark at the Park Theater on March 30th. My thanks to Clea and to Suze from Bridal Party who are at the Goodwill on Monday night. Uh, lots of great music coming down the pike live here in Winnipeg. Uh, lots of great music coming out of Winnipeg as well. I'm going to play you something from Nikki Baby, new local act. Self-titled record. This is the track My Head. We've got something from Ruby DeAnda after that and uh, more. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM.
so much like dying I'm trying, the head it knows But the heart does all the lying Well, I'm letting go I'm trying, I'm trying With Letting Go Feels Like Dying from her album New Girl, released last year. Uh, the track Easy Target, one of my top five singles of the year. Um, but I played that one because uh, before that we heard from Portugal by way of Newfoundland artist Nico Paulo from her forthcoming record, self-titled record, a talk, song called The Master. That just the, the vocal interpolation really reminded me of kind of the way the melody line goes in Jamie Drake's song. So uh, figured play those back to back. Before that, Ruby DeAnda, new single through Karma Chief called WYD. And we started that set off with Nikki Baby, local artist off their self-titled record and a track called My Head. Another local artist, Cookie Delicious, Joel Clavercamp, uh, doing some new stuff and uh, got a new name, no longer Beef Donut, or at least this project is not Beef Donut. Uh, the album is called Fox and Golden Armor. Going to play you another time from that. We got some funk from What It Do Archive Group and some more dancey stuff as we hand things over to Kyan After 8 Radio. Keep it locked here on 101.5 UMFM. Yeah. 
Thank you. 